Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. You guys ready for the word this morning? Oh, I'm so excited. Last week we started a series called The House Built for Worship. And um, it's one of the most, to me, it's one of the dearest series we've done as this church because we've, we've declared week after week that at this church, worship is not a byproduct of anything. Um, worship is, does not lead us to a point. Worship is the point. We are, not, we are not human beings and we don't worship. We are worshipers. It is who we are. And so we've been discussing the anatomy of a worshiper and what it looks like for us to build a house that is built for worship. You can build a house for lots of different things. I would love to say that every single place that you would go and every single thing you would experience would be pleasing unto God, but the truth is it's not. The truth is there are things that we have done as a church, us included in ministry before, where, where, where the motive is not for Jesus to be exalted, but how can we get more people? Are you with me? When the motive becomes, how do I get more people, is the moment where sometimes you maybe walked into a building and it feels electric and it feels exciting, but the anointing is not there. Now, the chief and the principal purpose for us as believers to gather together is for us to, as a corporate body, minister unto the Lord. Now, what does that look like? I can't tell you what that looks like for you. When I first got into doing Christianity and I would stand up on the stage, I would look at people, right? And you've probably done this. You look to the side and you feel God moving and you're shouting and you're screaming and you're doing your little shuffle and you're excited. And you look to the side, you're like, man, that person is not getting it. Don't lie. You, you do it. What's wrong with him? And so I would do that. I would get up on stage and I would see people weeping and then other people sitting. And I'm like, what is wrong with them? And then people were starting to come up to me afterwards, right? After I've done all my judgment thing that we're not for at this church. It's how I got to the no judgment thing. And they would come up to me and they'd be like, listen, I have to tell you. Something was happening during worship. And I'm like, yeah, I know. You were sitting during it. I'm aware. You're the only one that didn't know. He goes, no, 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 you don't get it. Something came on me. And as you guys were worshiping, the presence of God was so strong, I could do nothing but sit. And I'm like, oh, gosh. I like, and that's the kind of atmosphere that happens. You know, as we're worshiping and God leads people, as we're worshiping today, two of our men came and they laid hands on me in the front. And the guy's praying fire of God and I'm like, stop it, I'm already sweating. He's like, more fire, you know. But that as a corporate body, we would hear the voice of the Lord and we would know at this moment, at this time, what is it that you have called me to do? And so we're exploring what it would look like to enter in. We talked about the invitation of the Lord. What, what would represent this gospel? Of course, the principal thing would be love. You are loved. There is nothing on this world. In Romans it says, there is nothing. No, no demon, no principality, no person, no word. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. But that love is experienced in the come of the gospel where we would come into his sanctuary and we would say, Lord, in this moment, I give you an offering. How many of you know when you worship, when you praise, when you thank him, it is an offering unto the Lord. It does not fall on ground. It is not in vain. It's what my wife was talking about, how the Japanese believe, because the Bible says this, 
God inhabits the praises of his people. It means that when I come into this house and when you come into this house in a corporate gathering, every time we go, Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. You can feel it. Jesus, you feel that? Because as you call upon his name, and as you lift him up, and as he becomes bigger than your problem, it's as if your praise, they create a throne. And the Bible says that your worship, your words, your praise, they're as an aroma unto God. And so it's as if God is roaming and he's looking. What is he looking for? True worshipers that would rise up in spirit and in truth. Now, I need to explain to you how simple this is because you have been given the Spirit the moment you said yes. So we got one thing down. Truth only comes when you see Him. Truth is not a set of statements. It's not a demand that is put on you. Truth is a person. And so last week we talked about how simple it was to enter in. We enter in to his gates with thanksgiving. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, I thank you for, for who you are. I thank you for my family. And you begin to look around and you begin to, your heart begins to change. And once you enter in with thanksgiving, praise begins to happen. You begin to have a realization of who he is. Oh God, you are a healer. Oh God, you are good. It's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord. <laughs> because as he becomes bigger, everything else becomes smaller. And that's when you enter in and you realize it doesn't matter if I'm battling cancer. It doesn't matter if I'm battling sickness. It doesn't matter what my bank account says. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. I know how big my God is. And so we step into praise. It's a realization of who God is. But after praise, you enter into worship. And worship is the place where we want to live. Listen, worship is not music. Worship is not words. Worship is a daily you walking out the gospel. Worship is a lifestyle. It is you saying yes and understanding that there is a devil, there is a devil who is trying to steal your worship. And what God is looking for is not just people who would worship when everything is going good and gravy, but people that would understand that even in the midst of the battle, God, I worship you. I say yes. Even in the midst of the things I don't understand. And so I've learned something about God, right? The moment I begin to settle things in my heart and I begin to say, I don't like that. <laughs> that doesn't make me feel good. Is the very moment I find myself being drawn by the Lord to that very thing. And I'm like, but Lord, I said I hate. <laughs> but Lord, I don't like. Yet he's drawing you. Why? Because God is more interested in your heart than he is in your comfort. We preach a gospel that says, come as you are, and that is true. You come as you are, but you do not stay as you are. It's not because we put restrictions on you. It's not because we put demands on you. It's because when your life collides with Jesus, it changes. When you see him face to face, you begin to realize, I cannot be this anymore. It's not guilt. It's not condemnation. 
It's not even strife. It's, it's, it's the invitation to everything you've always wanted to be. The things that keep you awake at night, the things you wish you can do, and then you realize it's not in my power, but it's in his power. So I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I feel, str- I feel so weak. I feel so broken. And then you, you walk through the word, and he walks with you. And you run across scriptures where it says, when you are weak, he is strong in you. And you begin to realize, oh, in this moment. Some people run away from weakness, right? We live in a society that we push away hard. I don't want that. I don't need it. But God, what if? What if those moments that we're so often pushing away, those moments that we say, I, I don't know if my heart can handle that, are the very moments God is, is he's leading you to? Is this okay? Because listen, when Jesus was commissioned at 30 years old, he was baptized in the river and the Holy Spirit came upon him and Jesus said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That is step number one. But the very next step was the Spirit led him to the wilderness. The Spirit led him to the wilderness. (laughs) He led him to a place where for 40 days, He was tempted and he was tried and all these things were presented to him. But he needed to know and God needed to know, is what is is inside of you true? How do you know? How do you know that this gospel is real? How do you know that it is in action? People ask me, well, how do you know if someone is really saved? First of all, we don't get to determine that. It is not my determination. I don't get to determine where the line is. Neither do you. We we invite people in and we lead them towards him. And he does the work. We'll say, "Well, well, how do you know? Is it measurable? It's not your job to measure. We live in a measurable world, right? Well, how do you know? How can I measure my relationship? Relationship is not measured. It's not. We come in and we want to set this bar. So how, how weird would it be if I went to my wife and was like, on a scale from 1 to 5, 1 to 10, where's our love at today? It would be weird. Because love does not work that way. Love is pursuit. And when you are weak, the, the significant other who is the person of Jesus, he comes and he pursues you. <laughs> and so... The Bible does say this. They will be known by their fruit. It doesn't say they will be known by their prayer. It doesn't say they will be known by their religious routine. They will be known by their fruit. They will be known by that that is flowing out of them. You want to know when when salvation has really hit your life, you begin to change. The things you used to say, you're like, yo, I can't even say that anymore. It's not, you know, at this church, listen, I talk to people all the time. People talk how they want to talk. But I have noticed that as the presence of the Lord comes, they begin to change. And things that were once okay and everybody let slide, they're like, you know what? I can't do that anymore. Say, why? Well, the Holy Spirit's working on me. (laughs) That's what salvation looks like. This ongoing process. Listen, you know at this church, we believe the moment you say yes to Jesus, it's a done deal. 
according to Romans, the moment you say yes and you give your life to him, you become a new creation. And the rest of this life is you realizing what is put inside of you. That's all it is. We cry out for revival like it's a moment. Revival is not a moment. It's a realization. It's an unveiling. It's God showing you who you really are the moment you said yes. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, that's a problem. It's a problem. Because your belief will lead you down a road you don't want to go down. And so God is calling us. He's wooing us. <laughs> Come. Come and let's build a house where the principal thing is nothing else, nothing other than Jesus being exalted on high. Or my principal thing is not who showed up and who didn't show up and who's talking crap and who's not talking crap. All of it happens. <laughs> All of it happens. But the principal thing would be at this church, did I make his heart glad? It's all that matters. You understand? I'm sorry if you went to church and they put some kind of voodoo rules on you. But when you go to church and you're in an atmosphere and the principal thing becomes, did I make Jesus glad? When you live for an audience of one, all the haters fade away. I stopped a long time listening to people who told me what I can't do. They fade away because you know that if he said it, it is true. And so he's looking for people who would hear the voice of the Lord and they would respond with a resounding yes. Now here, I got to tell you, you won't always want to say yes. It's not always going to be easy to say yes. But when you see him, the yes becomes easier. So we, we thank him, we praise him, and as we enter in, we become worship. Do you understand that? We become. According to Romans, it says this in Romans 12. Beloved friends, this is the TPT, the, the Passion Translation. It's one of my favorites. I'm going to read it to you in two versions. A lot of times we read in, in the Bible, Romans, and we read Romans 12, but we always skip right to chapter 2, right? Because we want to hear about our lives being transformed, and I'll read Romans 12, I want to take you there. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your body to God for all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will, he will find acceptable. This is truly, say truly, this is truly the way to worship him. So how do we worship? What does worship look like? Which song should we pick so by song three, people would actually engage, right? These are the conversations we have. But according to Romans, it has nothing to do with worship. It has nothing to do with song. True worship, here's, here's the TPT, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to his marvelous mercies? His mercies are only seen by seeing him. It's why we talk about intimacy with God. It's why we talk about the secret place, because as you enter into his presence, you see him for who he really is, and you realize his mercies really are new every day. Your yesterday does not determine your today. You get a fresh start. And so we see his mercies, and then he says, I encourage you to surrender yourselves. <laughs> We've talked about this. The true gospel is not striving. It's surrendering 
resting, and abiding. Abiding means to remain. It's not a visit. It's to, I surrender my life and, and a surrender I give to you. And once I give to you, I don't strive because I have realized that I am made right in, with you. And so I rest. And in that rest, I abide. I remain attached to him because in him is found life. His promise is this, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. If your words abide, if, if my words abide in you, then I will abide. It's an invitation and both a promise. So surrender yourself to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and, and live in holiness. Listen, holiness is not about doing and not doing. It's not. Holiness is about being next to the Holy One. He's the one who touches you, like we talked about Isaiah. When you come into the presence of God, He touches you and He changes you. Experience all that delights His heart, for this becomes the genuine expression of worship, and that's what we're after. That our worship unto God would be a genuine expression. And so the Lord is after your worship. He wants, the, the, the Lord is after your worship, but, but so is the devil. <laughs> and you have to know that. That when the word of the Lord comes, the devil will try to attack that word. Think about the life of Jonah. The life of Jonah, if you read his story, it is a man who is a prophet of God. He heard from God. Let, let's, let's just set the bar that he was probably a mature believer. He knew the Lord, he walked with the Lord, and when the Lord spoke to him, he heard it. There are a lot of people who know the Lord, but not everybody hears. And so we established that Jonah was a mature believer, that he knew how to hear the Lord. And in, in the book of Jonah, it says this, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, set up and go to a great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked his people are. So, so the Lord was trying to send salvation to a people who were wicked. They were people who were not living right because that is his heart. That's why we say if the gospel stays inside of this church, it will not be alive. The only way this gospel is alive is if you take it. It's not just alive because we say it's alive. It's alive because it's living in you. It's alive because the book of Acts, you are the continuation of that book. That book did not die. That book did not end. You are a continuation of everything that those men started. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The only problem was Jonah did not like that word. Why did Jonah not like that word? It's important that you know. It wasn't just an inconvenience to him. It was because Jonah did not believe that those people deserved to be saved. It's the same battle and issue that we go through in church today. Oh, we want everybody to save. Do you really? If you really wanted people to be saved, you would go, you would go to the people that don't rub you the right way. You would go to the people that make you feel insecure, the people that make you feel uncomfortable. Anybody's okay. You say, we're going to do an outreach, and we're going to do it at the church. You get millions of people to show up. Everybody shows up, oh, we can serve here. But you talk to people about going to the street and ministering to the least of these, and you get 10 people. 
And this is the situation that Jonah found himself in. God called him to a place that he did not want to go. So what did he do? What was his response? I need you to see that this is as much worship as what we did 30 minutes ago. Your response, your yes, your walking out what God is speaking to you is an act of worship. That's what it looks like for you to live as a living sacrifice unto him. It's not 30 minutes on a Sunday. That's a good starting place. But it's when you begin to leave these, this place and God says, I'm calling you to Nineveh and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm calling you to reach out to that person. I'm calling you to leave everything and go to the nations. I'm calling you to give more. You're like, well, I don't believe in that. God's like, oh, that's your problem. I've been in so many situations where God's like, listen, an offering, this is when you know it's bad. An offering is being taken. And I begin to be stirred, right? You want to hear the voice of the Lord? Begin to ask him what to give. Scary. Somebody's talking, and I'm like, my heart starts beating. I'm like, oh, this is bad. I'm like, Lord, what should I give? He's like, give $500. I'm like, that's all I have. He's like, well, that's all I want. Then they're like, we're going to pass the offering plates around. I'm like, good, I don't have cash. I'm safe. Then they're like, we have online giving. I'm like, dang it. And it's these situations where the Lord calls you, and he's stretching you. And here's the truth. God called Jonah. Jonah didn't like it, so he bought a one-way ticket to a place called Tarshish. Say Tarshish. So we've established now we got two separate places. We got the place where Jonah had called, was called to, and we had the place where Jonah ran to. And this, this is the tension that all of us live in every single day. Where God is calling you, he's wooing you, he's trying to make you uncomfortable. And you have a decision you have to make. In this moment, will I obey the word of the Lord? Or am I buying a one-way ticket to comfort? Am I buying a one-way ticket to everything that is familiar? Everything that is easy? Here's the truth. This feels good, but this is not growth. And in this kingdom, in this gospel, in you walking out what it looks like to walk with Jesus, there is no, there is no such thing as staying stagnant. You are either moving towards him or away from him. It's simple as that. And so now Jonah is on a boat going in the op. The Bible actually says he bought a ticket to run from God. Not a good plan. Not a good plan. And so he's running from God. And in the middle of running, God sends a storm. Now some people will say, now that's just rude. That's not God. But when you really think about it, it is God. Because God cared about Jonah so much that he refused to allow him to remain in a place of complacency. The storm was the mercy. It was the place I said, I will not allow you to keep running to those familiar places that keeps you dead on the inside. And so now Jonah is on a boat. And you got to see that everybody in the boat's freaking out because there's a storm except Jonah. Jonah's sound asleep because oftentimes in the middle of your dysfunction, everybody can see it but you. So the people come to me, how can you be asleep in such a time as this? How can, you, how can you be asleep? It's how I feel about the body, man. How can you be asleep and complacent in a time like this? This week, just this week, I got calls from like four different people who said, we've taken people in. I love it. We've taken people in. It's what we talk about. 
you lose the option to walk past people who are broken. So many, there's so many things wrong in the world. This and that, and there's this person. Somebody should do something about it. You're somebody. You're somebody. You do something. And as you do something, you'll see the hand of God move. And so Jonah's in this place and people are freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard. Holy crap. They're like, pray to your God, to any God. <laughs> Doesn't even matter, just pray. And Jonah goes, I'm the problem. They're like, thank God we know. So they throw Jonah overboard and the Bible says that he was swallowed up. And according to the word, he was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And some people debate, is this real story? doesn't matter. Here's the, here's the point of the story. Jonah's disobedience, Jonah's unwillingness to embrace Nineveh, embrace the purpose, the calling, his, his inability to live as a living sacrifice led him to a place he was never supposed to be. And so finally he gets this great idea on day three, maybe I should repent. Maybe I should repent. And the moment he repents, he goes. He spit out. And he lands nowhere. This is just God, right? He lands nowhere other than Nineveh. <laughs> and here he is. He's like, dang it. And as you continue to, 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 to read the story, you see that he ministered in Nineveh and there was a great revival that happened in that city. Some people call it the story of Jonah, but the truth is it's more the story of Nineveh. It's a story of, an, of, a, of a relentless God who, who refused to give up on a people. He had a plan, he had a purpose, the people were wicked, but you have to see God's heart. It wasn't just that he called them wicked, it's I have a heart for those people. <laughs> I have a heart for those people and I love them so much that I'll call a man who doesn't wanna go and he's gonna go the opposite way and I'm gonna send a storm and after the storm I'll send a fish because I relentlessly pursue Nineveh. The sad part about, about Jonah's story is as you read the story, the people are saved and he still refuses, right? He still refuses to live as a living sacrifice and you find him sulking under a tree. And, and, it, and it burdens my heart, man. It burdens my heart to see in the church today, not just this church, I'm just talking about the church in general, so many people that they would find themselves in this same place where God is saying, come and see my mercies. They're new every single day. And as Paul, he's saying, I, I urge you, I beg you to give your lives as a living sacrifice. I know that sounds complicated, but it's as easy as saying yes. It's as easy as waking up in the morning and say, God, I dedicate this day to you. You say, well, why should I? Because, because none of us at stake. I scroll across my Facebook feed and there's all kinds of emotions. It makes me mad, it makes me happy, it makes me sad. But the majority of it is people posting problems and issues. And the majority of them about our country. And I pray to God, God, we pray for revival, but the truth is God's just looking for someone who would say yes so he can send to Jonah. You see, living a life of worship is not always living a life of comfort. It's not always living a life of pleasantries. 
I need you to hear this today because some of you are going through difficult situations and you need to understand that there is purpose behind the pain. That just because you're, you're in this battle, just because you're in this struggle does not mean that God has forgotten you. Are you with me? Paul understood what this looks like. It's why you read in Romans 5, he says this, but we can rejoice. Say rejoice. Rejoice is joy. It's joy, inexpressible joy. It's something that cannot be stolen from you. So many people have their joy stolen from them because they've received their joy from man. If man gives you joy, then man can steal your joy. But when a joy comes from God, man cannot steal it. You can give it away, but it cannot be stolen from you. So we too rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Did you hear that? Now we rejoice on the way to Disney World, or we rejoice on the way to vacation. We rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. What is he saying? We know that this situation, uh, I hear this in the church, God, give us a revival like Acts. If a revival like Acts is going to fall, it is going to require you to live a life like the people of Acts. It requires that. God, we want to be like Paul and the apostles. Well, they were beaten and they were stoned and they were rejected and they were abused. I'm not talking about people talking about you on Facebook. Like passive aggressiveness, that's not persecution. That's, that's high school. I, I, I'm talking about people, you bringing the gospel and them rejecting it. This is what these men went through. But in the midst of the trials, it, it's, it's expressing to you what living as, this is the whole point of today, showing you that your, your whole and principal purpose is to live as a living sacrifice unto God. You say, well, I don't have my life together. It's because you're pursuing other things. This is the principal thing. If you are, if you are struggling with addiction and you're in cycles of addiction, the answer is you give yourself as a living sacrifice. And he changes you. It's in the come. So he says, we, we, we rejoice in trials and problems because they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops character. Now character is who you are. Anybody can act a certain way, but your character is what is inside of you. It's what happens when nobody else is looking. It's what happens when people, when people look at you, but when you go behind the scenes and how you say yes and how you say no, that is your character. And this is what is being developed. And character strengthens our confidence, which is the hope of our, of our salvation. So what is Paul saying? Everything you're going through is for a purpose. It's developing, it is refining, it is changing, it is shifting things inside of you. Mindsets. It's changing hearts. And listen, I know it's hard. And I know somebody told you, well, God will never put more on you than you can handle, but I just don't see it. Because there's also scriptures that say, God will be near to the brokenhearted. And brokenheartedness is more than people can handle. And so you come to God and you say, I don't know, I don't have a lot to give, but I give you this. And God takes your little life and he begins to mold you and he begins to shape you. And so he'll use your husband to try you. <laughs> I'm just convinced my sole purpose is to produce endurance and destiny. It's why I'm alive. Producing endurance and character. 
but I'm serious. You're like, I hate him. I can't stand her. And in the meanwhile, God's like, I'm using this to teach you how to love. Because here's the truth. There's no such thing as bad people. God did not put anybody on this earth to be a bad person. There's just two kinds of people. There are sons and there are orphans. It's people who are loved who just don't understand they're loved yet. So many people looked at me and they would say, that's a bad person in my addiction. And the truth is, I wasn't a bad person. I just didn't know who I was. And so I would go through situations that I didn't know how to express myself because people told me that I had to have my act together to give my life to God. Are you understanding this? And so Jonah was a man who did not know what it looked like to give his body as a living sacrifice, to give his life. But I want to contrast this with the life of Job. Can you give me 10 more minutes? I'm going to take them. The life of Job, you begin to read his story and you see that God is bragging on him. I would read the story, but I don't want to take up all the time. It says that men came into the throne of God. And, and in, the, in the midst of those men was Satan the accuser because you have to know he's constantly trying to accuse you. Because you are accused does not mean you are. You understand that? Just because somebody says you are does not mean you are. The moment you are is the moment you begin to take that on as identity. Nobody's a drug addict. You're only a drug addict when you believe you are a drug addict. It's why the moment you believe you are a son, you become a son. Because as you believe so, that's who you are. And so here's Job, and, and the devil comes in, and God begins to brag on him. You have to know that. It's what we talk about. When you come to the Lord and you live a righteous life by colliding with the righteous one, God takes notice. How do we know he takes notice? Because he's bragging on Job. The devil comes in, he's like, yo, have you seen Job? <laughs> he's righteous. He defies. He runs from evil. And so the devil immediately begins to, to accuse Job. He says, oh yeah, Job worships you, but it's because you have given him everything. And so then the Satan says, and you've even put a hedge of protection around him. You need to know this. This is important. So many of you, you feel like the devil's throwing things at you. You have to know that there is a hedge of protection around you. That if something is hitting you, you have to begin to look at it this way. If something is coming at you, that God has allowed it to produce perseverance in you. To produce something in you. And when God says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, that is truth. In the story of Jonah, there was no demon that came. There was no sickness. There was no bondage. Jonah's sole problem was Jonah. It was his inability to see himself as a son. So now you contrast that with Job, a man who knew what sonship looked like. So, so, so the devil comes and the, the, he goes, well, Job only serves you because you've given him everything. And God goes, okay, take it. We'll see. Take, take his possessions, but you can't touch his health. And whether you know it or not, man, Job didn't know it. He was about to go through a world of trouble. His life would seemingly feel like it would fall apart. This was a man who had cattle. This was a rich man. This was a man who had sons. You would look at his life and you would see this man is blessed. And in a fail swoop, as you read the story, you see that thing after thing after thing is stripped away from Job. 
And here's the truth. This is when you find out. (laughs) This is when you see what is really inside of you. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the trouble, when a Christian is squeezed, (laughs) you've heard it said, man, you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade. You squeeze a Christian, you don't know what the crap you're going to get. You don't. How do I know this? From experience. I've, been, I've ran with people who have had the same touches from God as me, who we looked each other in the eye and we said, we're going to run with full force. I'll never be the same again. And they're not running anymore. Because you got to know that there will come a moment where the Spirit of God will touch you and it will change you, but you will. It's not if, it's when you will go through a season that will test what is inside of you. And this is what he's going through. His cattle, fire falls from the sky, it's, it's, pin, it's a movie. You look at his life and you're like, what the heck? And he's looking around, but he never loses his heart of worship. <laughs> He's living a life laid down. Before the gospel put context to it, he's showing you what it looks like to live a life as a living sacrifice unto God. His house burns. His children die. People look at him and say, you must have sin in your life. Because they try to categorize your dysfunction. (laughs) They can't understand. People think that Christianity, the moment you give your life, is this upward, ah, but it's not. Any kind of healthy growth, you, you know this from the, from, from, the, from the world's perspective, that growth happens in an S-curve. Growth never happens like this. You go up and then you go down to see if the up really happened, <laughs> to see if it was more than an emotional experience, to see if it could hold the weight. And so Job has lost all of his material things And the devil comes back to God, and God's like, I told you. (laughs) I told you he was righteous. So then the devil goes, well, why don't you take his faith, and you'll see his, take his health, and you'll see his faith will follow. And now, now the trial goes from physical, physical things to now it's affecting his physical body. And at this point in their life, everybody's looking at him and saying, I don't get it. Why don't you curse God and die? He has nobody cheering him on. Come on, you're going to get through. You don't find it. And in this moment, in this example of what it looks like to live a life as a living sacrifice, you ask yourself, what is his response? It's what I wonder when I read. This guy's going through hell, but how's he going to respond? I want to read it to you. Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. You got to understand in these times when you would when you would fall down and you would tear your robe, it was a sign of immense grief. It was it was literally a sign to everyone around you that the worst thing that could possibly happen just happened in my life. And then he says this, he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he did what? He worshipped. And he said this. I came naked from my mother's womb and I will leave 
and naked will I be when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise. Say praise. Ah, praise the name of the Lord. This, this is Romans personified. What does it look like to give my life as a living sacrifice unto him? Holy and acceptable. True act of worship. It's in the midst of that understanding and not getting it and being led to Nineveh and, and being discouraged. You would still say everything I have came from him. And even if he takes it away, I will still praise you. I will still worship you. Are you getting this? This is true worship. That it would be more than word, that it would be more than song, that you would understand that even in the middle, even in the middle of straight chaos, the pain has a purpose. That maybe that thing God is leading you to, that feels so painful, He's leading you to it because He's trying to work something out of you. Oh, man. I hope you understand this. God could have chosen anybody, but He chose Jonah because He wanted to change Jonah's heart. And so I wonder, man, I wonder what, what it looks like for you in your life, if you were to be honest, and you were to assess what's going on. You find yourself in this tension. Every single one of you, every single one of you has a Nineveh. Every single one of you has this place. You have this purpose that God is calling you to. But you also have a Tarshish. You also have this place that you can run to. Listen, I know I've talked about this before, but it's important for now. Because I know there's people in the room where God is trying to battle test you. And you have to understand that your worship, your yes, it is warfare. We worship and we battle from a place of victory. And that place of victory is in the yes. And so here's the real problem. <laughs> here's the real problem. In a world, in a world full of Instagram, and full of now. We serve a dark room God. I heard somebody say that this week and it just, I could not get it out of my spirit. In a world where we say, click picture, post picture, everybody sees my life. You remember when you used to have to have a role? You didn't know what the heck that picture looked like. You were hoping that one of them turned out okay. And that picture would have to be taken. And the role was taken out, and the picture was developed, but it was developed in the dark. <laughs> and that's your life. That God would take you, and he would use you, and sometimes you're in the dark, and you don't get it. It doesn't make sense, but, I, but I'm telling you, this life of Christianity is not Instagram. Say it, claim it, proclaim it, and happening. It's not that. God will take you, he will use you, but there will be seasons where you will feel yourself in the dark. And you will say, God, I don't feel you. 
I don't get it. I feel broken. I feel left out. And little do you know, you're moments away from God walking in and showing you what it was really about. So we would go on family vacations. We would take all kinds of pictures, and then you would get this stack of pictures like this. It was ridiculous. Such a waste of trees. Sometimes they gave you doubles, and you'd flip through just to find one. And it's what God is looking for today. I feel that he's flipping through, man. And he's looking, and, he, and he's saying, the Bible says this, Jesus said to his disciples, when I come back, not if I come back, when I come back, will I find what? Faith. Not will I find big buildings. We're going to have one one day. Not will I find great programs. Don't we think programs are okay? Will I find faith? Where is faith developed? <laughs> it's developed in the midst of difficulties and in trials. So here's what I want to pray for you today. Can everybody stand up to your feet? pray over you today and I, I just want you to be honest can I just be honest with you guys I like honesty these these last two weeks I was telling I'm very vulnerable with my our, our leadership these last two weeks for me and my wife have just been hell and I would love to tell you I, I just need to say this because I need you to understand I just need you to understand that there are seasons in life where things are just hard and it's not because of anything you did. I just need you to hear that. God does not punish. There are just seasons in life where the devil tries to attack you and you begin to feel things, right? And, and they're lies. And if you're not careful, you begin to take on these lies. Well, I'll just go somewhere else, or I'll just do something different. Can I tell you what it was for me? For like two weeks ago, the devil would just whisper to me. He would say this, you're just not enough. And so I have dreams at night, right? I have dreams. And I don't even share them with you because it freak you out about what God's going to do in this area. I see it. Not only do I see it, people are walking up to me and they're like, you need to prepare for the influx of people and two services and all this stuff and the accuser. Thank God that stops me. The accuser comes and he's like, you're not enough. <laughs> and the truth is I'm not. I'm not. But he, uh, who said it? Yes. But he is. And it's why it's so important that as a church we're vulnerable. So I write people, I'm like, listen, the devil's attacking me and then I get sick. And you know how I feel about sickness. I don't got to go through that. I don't got to go through that. But I think what God is looking for, I don't think I know, 
is that in the midst of what you cannot understand, you're on a boat and there's chaos, that you would say, God, you're still good. That you would be able to be vulnerable with yourself. And you would say, God, I feel weak. And your word says, when I am weak, you are strong in me. What does that mean? That means I have to let you in. Listen, if there's any separation between you and God, I could promise you it's you. <laughs> it's not, it's not him. So can we do something right now? Can we just can we just close our eyes? He's here. Jesus. At the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. He is Lord.